For more than two and a half years, Americans tied to January 6 have been vilified as insurrectionists, but charged and often imprisoned for mostly misdemeanor trespassing offenses. And there's one unanswered question that threatens the insurrection narrative more than any other. Did undercover agents or assets for the federal government agitate people to go into the Capitol and encourage or incite violence? In short, was January 6 a kind of setup, more of a fedsurrection than an insurrection? The FBI alone had so many informants, Stephen Dantuono, a senior leader in the Washington field office at the time, admitted in sworn testimony that they lost track and ordered an audit to account for all of them. We still don't know exactly what those undercover assets were doing, whether their actions were legal or not. We don't even know exactly how many government agencies were involved. But we do know that protesters themselves quickly recognized there were provocateurs in their midst and called some of them out. One of them was a man named Ray Epps, who rightly or wrongly has become the face of the alleged Fedsurrection. Epps has repeatedly denied working for any government agency and has gone so far as to sue some of his accusers. So we decided to take a closer look, and what we found may surprise you. It was a moment that will live in infamy. At an informal Stop the Steal rally in Washington, D.C., on the eve of January 6, when people in the crowd turned on a 58-year-old man with a lot to say. That man was Ray Epps. So I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for it, okay? Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. No! No! There it was, before a single protester ever set foot inside the Capitol, some of them suspected they were being set up. Take me back to that moment. Take me back to the moment when you looked at Ray Epps mm -hmm. and the thought came into your head and you said, Fed. Fed, 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 Fed. When I first saw Ray Epps, he came up to me this is January 5th. We're outside BLM Plaza. We're protesting. USA! 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 The police are protecting Antifa. And the last few years, that's been a common theme here, is that the left, you know, BLM can burn down cities for six months. Antifa can attack people. The cops do nothing. And then, you know, you do a little joke on your live stream and, and you're this domestic terrorist all of a sudden. His real name is Tim Gione, but he goes by Baked Alaska, what he called his stage name. Your stage name? Yeah. That makes you sound like a stripper. <laughs> no, I'm not a stripper. It's my, uh, my rapper name, my entertainment name, I guess. The controversial 35-year-old e-celebrity from Anchorage has made a career out of social media that's lasted more than a decade, despite being banned from one platform after another. For a while, he was associated with the alt-right, which he told us he regretted and said he's since cut ties. He's gathered thousands of followers with his confrontational style and no shortage of haters. Get out of my door now! A cringe lord, a poser, and a white trash provocateur. He's often spotted in the land of memes. Can I take your order? 
Dude, let's go! Got ketchup mixed with lettuce, cheese. And landed a shout-out from Joe Rogan himself on the world's most popular podcast. Uh, this baked Alaska guy who's uh, like a famous shit poster. Do you know what a shit poster is? They say like ridiculous shit in their memes and they fuck with people and they get yeah. people upset. Yeah. It's pretty funny stuff. Great, yeah. I'm so honored to live in a country where our president is shit posting on Twitter. It really makes the world a better place. It's <laughs> hilarious. We are in Washington, D.C., boys. Fans across the country were watching his live stream that freezing winter night as lines of police separated the crowd of Trump supporters from a small number of Antifa agitators in a fairly tense standoff. We learned that Ray Epps talked to Baked Alaska about going into the Capitol twice, two conversations roughly 10 minutes apart. This is what he said happened the first time, shortly after 10.30 p.m. Ray Epps came up to me and started saying, we need to go into the Capitol. Now, I'm someone who creates funny content, and I just like to agree with everyone. And, you know, if someone's saying something crazy, a lot of times I'll just agree, be like, yeah, yeah, because I, you as an interviewer understand, you want to allow them to continue speaking. So the first time he says this, and I'm like, let's go, which is a phrase that I say all the time. I'm sort of just encouraging him. I'm like, that's some crazy boomer. Okay, he's, he's saying some stuff. Here, you can see it for yourself. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say we it. Need, we let's need to safe. go, I'll say it. All right. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! What stood out in this first exchange, the way Epps stopped and paused after he said in. We need to go in to the Capitol. Big Alaska's reaction said it all. I didn't see that coming. He was like, don't beat that guy up. But let's go into the Capitol. And then I get weirded out. So I'm, I move to a different group. I'm like, and, and everyone around is like, what is this guy saying? And, and you're filming at this I'm point? I'm filming live the whole time. Yeah. So you're seeing this unfold in real time. And I'm just saying, let's go. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like, I'm getting away from this creep. He's, he's weirding me out. I'm getting weird vibes. Something's off. Right. I go to another group okay, way far away from him. He follows me. And then he starts instructing the crowd. And that's, that's the famous moment. He says, we need to go into the Capitol. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. Right when he said that, something clicked into my head. I was like, whoa, this is scripted because he said the same exact line word for word and that's three not times. natural. It's not natural. And I've been doing this for about 10 years. I go to every single type of rally, film, and not just film clips. No, I live stream for extended periods of time. So I'm able to see, I guess, the micro dynamics of how uh, the crowds act and respond to things and you know what are natural statements. And so I was also tipped off by, why is he going around to all the groups instructing them what to do and he, was, he kept saying, none of this matters. Tomorrow, we need to go in to the Capitol. Maybe the first time he was being silly or saying something crazy. But when he said it the third time, word for word, I knew there's a strong possibility this guy's a fed. I started that chant, and guess what? The whole crowd joined in with me within seconds. And that wasn't planned or coordinated. That was just... The spirit moving. That was God saying, there's something up here. Like we, watch out. There's something going on. And, and that's what I felt in my heart as a believer, truly. To be clear, because it's very difficult to prove these things. Right. 
Nobody is saying for certain Ray Epps is a confidential source. He, of course, denies it. Right. And his attorney denies it. He's taken legal action against people who right. say it. Um, and he has uh, many cheerleaders yeah. in the media. Yeah, the New York Times, the January 6th Commission, Liz Cheney. 60 Minutes. What? 60 Minutes. <laughs> Once again, like, yes, that's my opinion. I believe he is a Fed okay, well, based off my this. information, but I can't say 100%. Baked Alaska agreed opinion was not evidence. And we reminded him Ray Epps also denied working for the government when he testified under oath before the January 6th committee. Since his defamation attorney, Michael Teeter, the FBI, the Department of Justice, and Epps all declined to comment, we turned to first-hand original recordings from multiple sources and trolled through every frame we could find. Metadata from the live stream showed that from the start of his first encounter with Baked Alaska until they parted ways, a period of 1 hour, 32 minutes, and 39 seconds, Epps repeated certain phrases over and over. He told them at least 12 times what he wanted them to focus on. We are here to do something. Our whole life. It is not to mess with Antifa. It is not to mess with Black Lives Matter. That doesn't matter. Keep your focus. Keep focus. Keep focus. Keep your focus. You're losing focus. Don't lose focus. You're losing focus. You're losing focus. Keep the focus, guys. You're not here for this garbage. And said around six times, this is not why we are here. That's not what we're here for. Yes, it is. It's not what we're here for. No, we don't, but that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. He's getting off the subject, man. We're here for another reason. So many times it drew this response from Baked Alaska. You may be here for that reason, but other people might be here for that reason. I can tell the difference between a news story and propaganda, because I've been a journalist for more than 35 years. Right. And in propaganda, they repeat themselves. Right. You're making a point because you want to focus people on that. When you tell a story, mm-hmm. you don't keep repeating yourself. Your audience isn't dumb. Yeah. And I saw this guy there and I'm thinking, first of all, who are you? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Why is this? he directing people around? Who does that? Who gave you the authority yeah, to do I don't, that? Yeah, I don't go up to the crowds and say, do this, do that. We got to, no. The immediate reaction was concern. And Epps' insistence that Antifa and BLM don't matter. It's not about them. It's not about them. Seemed to pour gas on the fire for people who had endured years of antagonism from Antifa's black bloc. Ever since Trump's victory in 2016, his supporters had been targeted by the so-called brown shirts of the left, who'd shown up at his rallies to start fights, and more recently, at Stop the Steal rallies in Washington, D.C. in December, right after the 2020 election, when the violence and intimidation escalated. Antifa turned streets in the capital into no-go areas for Trump supporters. Some pushed back in anger, and at least four people were stabbed, according to police. We don't really know exactly what happened, but somebody came out of a doorway and stabbed one of our leaders. 
Several protesters told us that's why many came prepared for the Trump rally on January 6, swapping golf shoes and sneakers for combat boots and stab vests. When BLM and Antifa are burning down our cities and destroying our country, it doesn't matter right now. Yes, it does. That's breaking the constitution. It does not matter right now. Epps stayed on message and later told the January 6 committee he was trying to stop violence. Congressman Adam Kinzinger credited him for that. And we did find Epps inserting himself in a number of arguments. But the violence seemed to be over by then, as confirmed by Baked Alaska and others who were present. Epps also told the committee he thought the Capitol would be open because it was a weekday. And although he said this twice... I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. So I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for it, okay? He testified he did not believe he would be arrested and was trying to find some common ground. Epps did have a number of supporters in the crowd. My man, my man, he's right, he's right. From what I've heard so far, we're not going to win. But with Big Talaska, it got a little heated. Shut up. Get out of Get out of here. Get out of here. I, I'm done with you. I'm done talking to you. You're a little punk that wants I'm, to I'm, No, get out, get out of here. No. You realize how when he gets proven wrong, he just makes shit up because, oh, you guys are trying to cause violence. Oh. And a little personal. The media calls us Nazis, you fucking retard. Are you serious? Don't argue with him. He's making money on you. That's what this is. It's all about the money. It's all about the money. Bate was still convinced Epps was working an angle. No, no, he, he's definitely a plan. 100%. Any sort of interaction we have, this, this fucking guy comes in, he's like, and has some fucking thing to say the to only divide us. Then, when things were dying down, shortly before midnight, we discovered another conversation we hadn't seen or heard before. Here, Epps took a different tone with Big Alaska. I despise BMO. There we go. BLM. There we go. I despise Antifa. I've there stood him down myself with Good. the Army vets. I respect In that. Queen Creek, Arizona. We, that's where, that's where I live. Uh, Are you my on. neighbor? I swear. Uh, I live in Queen Creek. I'm going to choke you, man. Wait, that, this guy's <laughs> you antagonizing me, man? Maybe it's because you're my neighbor. Where you at? <laughs> then he leaned in and whispered something he apparently did not want to say out loud. We're not here to fight. We're here to storm the Capitol. Hell yeah. All right. Have a, have a good night. Be safe. Be safe, brother. That one moment changed what we knew about Ray Epps that night when he whispered storm the Capitol before it had happened and echoed the official narrative before it was broadcast across the nation. Of supporters of President Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Thousands storming the Capitol. This mob that stormed the Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed the Capitol. Stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Stormed the United States Capitol. We ran it through forensic software that technical investigators use for analyzing audio and video to make sure we heard correctly and it had not been altered. We're here to storm the Capitol, hell yeah. All right, have a, have a good night, be safe. And searched through hours of footage, countless news stories, Epps' FBI case documents, and his deposition before the January 6th committee to see if it had been discussed. With the exception of one writer we found on Substack, it hadn't. Monument Hill. We are going to the Capitol. We're 
steps, who continued to direct people to the capital in the cold light of day on January 6, did not go into the capital himself, according to the January 6 committee and the FBI. He's never explained publicly why he said storm the capital, what he meant by that, or what he may have known. So why hasn't it been addressed? Nobody cared about the Ray Epps story for the first year after January 6. It was just a nothing burger to everyone for some reason. Um, I thought it was a big story, but um, I was banned off Twitter. I was banned off YouTube. I was banned off all social media, so I couldn't get the story out. You know, I was not able to get it into the mainstream. The lack of curiosity would not be enough once the Ray Epps story caught fire. Something happened after he left Oath Keepers until January the 6th. What? I don't know. But those were two different people. It turned out January 5th was not the first time Ray Epps encountered Big Alaska. We recovered live stream video from a rally in Phoenix, where Epps seemed to point his camera right at him and take a photo. We're looking at every angle that we can. No preconceived ideas, that's how you get to the truth. When people use the term Fed, most of us assume they're referring to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or FBI, when in fact, Fed could mean anyone working for an agency or office at the federal level. That could be the CIA, Homeland Security, or the State Department, to name a few. It could also be a federal office for any senator or congressman. And there are many forms employment can take staffer, contractor, informant, and so on. In our last report, we looked at the curious case of Ray Epps and why a number of those around him on the eve of January 6 suspected he may be a Fed. To be fair, Epps has repeatedly denied working for any government agency, and that may very well be true. Our job as journalists is not to prove a case. We're neither lawyers nor activists. But we are supposed to get as close as possible to the whole truth and let you decide. And everyone should have a chance to speak for themselves. So we would like to invite Ray Epps once again to sit down with us and tell his story. One question that we have for him is what, if anything, he may have known about a plan to storm the Capitol, since that's what he was recorded talking about on January 5th when he spoke to live streamer Baked Alaska and just happened to discover the two of them were neighbors back home in the tiny city of Queen Creek, Arizona. As we showed you before, when Tim Gianni, known as Baked Alaska, was live streaming in Washington, D.C. the night before January 6, Ray Epps leaned into him and whispered something he apparently did not want to say out loud. I'm not kidding. We're here to storm the Capitol. Hell yeah. All right. Have a, have a good night. Be safe. Be safe, brother. Somehow, the January 6 committee, with a budget of more than $18 million and over 40 staffers, seemed to have missed the most revealing, some would say incriminating thing Epps said. The conspiracy theory about Ray Epps um, is, is just 
a lie. It's just not true. There's some, there's a conspiracy theory. Obviously, I've seen it out there. January 6 committee members like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, both Republicans, have put a significant amount of effort into defending Epps on social media and in this case, speaking to students at the University of Chicago. It's one of those pieces of, of what we've seen around January 6th that is pushed by people that want to suggest that it this was this attack was something other than um, what it really was. And to remind you, so far it appeared no one had asked Epps what he knew when he whispered storm the Capitol before it happened and before Americans got the message. Protesters stormed into the building. Stormed the doors. People stormed the Capitol. The Capitol had been stormed. Stormed the U.S. Capitol. Nobody cared about the Ray Epps story for the first year after January 6th. It was just a nothing burger to everyone for some reason. Um, I thought it was a big story, but um, I was banned off Twitter. I was banned off YouTube. I was banned off all social media, so I couldn't get the story out. You know, I was not able to get it into the mainstream. I was arrested probably a week after January 6th. And when I got out, um, my followers and my fans, we all started looking into um, Ray Epps. And someone's like, he used to be an oath keeper and he used to be military intelligence and on and on and on. And we just started finding these crazy things about Ray Epps. And then- uh, Is it confirmed that yes, he had confirmed. a background in military intelligence or? Yes, I've talked to his, well, I believe so. Believing and being certain are two very different things. And of course, this is it's a serious thing to say someone's right. a Fed, right? You can't and, just and, make and, that charge. As someone who, you know, people have called me a Fed, I understand how serious it is. So, you know, I say this is allegedly, this is yes. what I believe. I, I don't have like a smoking gun. That you se. can prove it. Yeah, I can't. I do know he was an Oath Keeper. I do know he was in the military because there's, there was an old Facebook photo of him that I've seen <laughs> on, his, on his actual Facebook. Right. I haven't. Right. And that's why even when, when I say he's a Fed, I say allegedly that's what I believe based off the evidence that I saw. We did confirm Ray Epps' involvement years ago with the Oath Keepers, as seen in this video from Tucson, Arizona in 2011, where Ray Epps is wearing the T-shirt and marching along. This is the organization that, according to the DOJ, led the so-called insurrection. And at Epps' side... The man who led them, Stuart Rhodes, founder of the group and one of the few convicted on charges of seditious conspiracy, who's currently serving 18 years, among the longest sentences of any January 6th defendant. Depending on your politics, the Oath Keepers were either far-right anti-government extremists or, to use their words, a non-partisan association current and former military, police, and first responders who are upholding their oath to defend the Constitution. What made you join the Oath Keepers? The, I like the concept and the mission uh, statement, which is revere, follow the Constitution. And it was just uh, directed at anyone that's taken the oath, that to remind them that regardless of what's going on around us, we yes. are bound to that oath. Is there something sinister in that? No, absolutely not, unless you think the Constitution's sinister. Kate Hilton said she was at that event with Rhodes and Epps, a memorial the Oath Keepers held for a young Marine combat veteran, Jose Garena. 
He died tragically at home in Tucson, killed by police when a SWAT team raided his house and riddled his body with bullets. Police provided conflicting accounts, but in the end reportedly paid his family $3.4 million without admitting fault. Excessive bail shall not be required. At the time, Kate said, Epps was president of the Arizona Oath Keepers, where she had been a member since early 2010, having joined not long after the group itself was founded. What was the purpose, really? What was the point? The point was mostly educational. They had a motto, reach, teach, and inspire, basically to reach out to different entities from children to uh, Eagle Scouts, veterans organizations, and teach about the Constitution, because that had been stopped in most schools. Is it essentially locally based? It was nationally based, but with local chapters, and it exploded because a lot of people could uh, relate to that and have been wanting that. When was this happening? Stuart Rhodes announced the formation of Oath Keepers April the 19th, 2009, at Lexington Green in Massachusetts, Patriots Day. Kate had taken her oath when she joined the Border Patrol Auxiliary and said she'd worked in operations along the border in Arizona and California since 2006. Now 70 years old with grown-up children and a rescue dog, Sky, who never leaves her side. She said she works from home in Arizona, a long way from the ice and snow of the north and the tiny town in Michigan where her life began. She told us she's a lifetime member of the Oath Keepers and was active for more than a decade. Kate said before January 6, they had about 35,000 members who would step up when disaster hit, as they did in Houston, Texas, in August 2017, when Hurricane Harvey overwhelmed the city. They'd carried out thousands of operations, from rescue missions to security, and until January 6, Kate said, they'd not been charged with a crime. It was a common request if Oath Keepers could come and help with security. Was it paid? No. Everything was volunteer. So who would request security from the Oath Keepers? What kind of people? Um, a range of people from local shopkeepers like Ferguson because the stores were being burnt down and right. broken into right. and looted. So they requested Oath Keepers provide security. Black and white businesses? Mostly black, but yeah, both. Uh -huh. Of course, there's, you know, there's the narrative out there that Oath Keepers are white supremacists, right? Yeah. It doesn't really fit with black-owned businesses having them come in to do security for them in Ferguson. And the black-owned business owners thanking them for saving their business. And so they provided a lot of, uh, saved a lot of businesses during the Ferguson riots. Kate, seen here with Stuart Rhodes, said Epps left the Arizona Oath Keepers in late 2011. Her sense was that he wanted to focus on his work with the Mormon church and the family business he was building. But Epps gave a different reason when he testified before the committee. According to the transcript, he said it was when Antifa had first come out in Portland and they were burning things and doing different things on the news. Stuart Rhodes wanted to go there and try to direct them, according to Epps, and he did not agree with that, so we kind of split ways. He added they were too radical for my likes. 
We looked into Rose City Antifa, the main anarchist group in Portland, and searched for news coverage of them burning things at that time, as Epps had testified. We found that in 2011, they were four years old, relatively small in number, and mostly focused on social justice issues. We did not find news stories about Antifa burning anything, but we did find news coverage of the Occupy Portland movement that was forcibly removed from two parks that year. Kate said Stuart Rhodes never suggested infiltrating Antifa or anything like that to her, and as far as she knew, Epps left on good terms. No one saw him again, no contact, until I saw the footage from January 6th. And what did you think? I thought, he's changed. <laughs> I mean, he's yelling, go into the Capitol. That's not something I could see him saying. That's totally the opposite of the image that he had presented previously. In what way? Well, he was a Marine, very disciplined. They don't cross those lines. No. Yet here he was screaming to total strangers to cross that line. And it was so out of character from what I knew of him. Did you talk to anyone else about it? Stuart. You spoke to Stuart, Stuart about uh, it? as the only other person that I'm aware of that knew Ray Epps, that has been in the organization that long. And Stuart was shocked as well. We had a con several conversations about it. He said, that's not the Ray we knew. And when you saw the media start to, you know, certain parts of the media start to say he might be working for the government in some capacity, maybe he's an undercover informant or something, maybe he's a contractor, uh, all of which he denies, of course. Mm. Did that strike you as realistic or possible? Or yes. was it yes? Yes, because it was so out of character that I would think someone would have to be instructing him on how to conduct himself. That I couldn't think of any other logical explanation for his behavior, his uh, demeanor, his words, any of it. But I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And the more he heard, the more it seems to me that he was an informant. What um, do you base that on? Because obviously he's been on national TV protesting his innocence. He's been defended by the January 6th committee. I guess he's going on the offense because he's guilty. The louder you get, the guiltier you probably are. Where and attack that, is the best form of defense. Right, exactly. Look at everybody else. They've got grandmothers with cancer that walked in and took a selfie that are in prison. It just doesn't add up. Here he is actually on film verbalizing going into the Capitol. Both the night before and the day yeah, after. Exactly. That's what you call ginning up a crowd. Incitement. Incitement. What about people who say, well, there's, you know, there's nothing there and you're, you're making life traumatic for an innocent man. And now he's been charged by the FBI anyway. With a misdemeanor. Yes. My question would be then, what's the logical explanation of why he has not spent a day in jail all this time? Anybody else doing far less, not only were picked up and put in jail to await trials indefinitely, but, you know, had to wait for their day in court in a jail cell. He wasn't. And he's the only one literally on film that I'm aware of that is actually calling to breach the Capitol. 
With your history in the Border Patrol Auxiliary and mm -hmm. the kind of work that you did, is there any experience that you have from your past that sort of contributes to how you look at this? You have to rely, be able to trust and rely on people and be able to read them. Because it's your safety, yes. not only theirs. Yes. Nobody wants to be associated with someone they can't trust or feel they're lying to them or. And I, he fooled me. It may have been him then, but he changed. Something happened after he left Oath Keepers until January the 6th. What, I don't know. But those were two different people. We really wanted to ask Ray Epps that question and reached out again to his attorney, Michael Teeter, but got no response. Teeter was, in some ways, an odd choice for Epps. How did a Trump supporter who believed the 2020 election was stolen end up with a lawyer who's leading the effort to punish Trump's attorneys for questioning the election? Michael Teeter runs the 65 Project, which, according to their website, is working with bar associations so that lawyers who subvert democracy will be punished. One of his main allies in this effort, David Brock, a major political operative for the Democratic Party, who told Axios in 2022 the idea was also to shame attorneys and make them toxic in their communities and in their firms. In media interviews, Michael Teeter has said his client's life has been ruined by right-wing conspiracy theories and speculation, which forced him to sell his home in Arizona amidst death threats and go into hiding. When he spoke to 60 Minutes in April of this year, Epps and his wife Robin were shown living in an RV in an undisclosed location, although it was unclear if that has since changed. According to public records, in April last year, Epps sold his property in Queen Creek for $2.2 million. Remember when Epps told Big Alaska this about Antifa? I despise Antifa. I've stood him down myself with the Army vets. I respect that. Queen Creek, Arizona. That's where I live! We couldn't find any record of Antifa in Queen Creek, and Kate did not recall them ever being there. We're still looking for evidence of a clash with army vets, but we did find something else. Good morning. How are you? It turned out January 5th was not the first time Ray Epps encountered Baked Alaska. You can see him circling during this live stream recorded by Baked Alaska at a Stop the Steal rally in Phoenix on November 30th, shortly after the 2020 election. It appeared to have been scrubbed from the internet, according to forensics experts we consulted, who found a single copy buried deep in an online archive. Let's go! And managed to extract the full live stream of 11 hours, 10 minutes, and 55 seconds. Here it showed Ray Epps pacing back and forth, a short way from Baked Alaska, who seemed to have his attention as he looked over in his direction repeatedly, 13 times by our count. Then Epps stopped and pointed his camera right at him, snagging a photo before putting his phone down and walking away, only to re-emerge on camera roughly a minute later, taking another photo in the same area. Not long after that, he interrupted this argument. We don't want you here, so skedaddle, scram. With a comment. It's a free speech zone. We're Americans and we're all... You're right, you're right, you're right. I didn't 
realize this honestly until someone put out on Twitter and they were sort of like accusing me of being like a fed or something. And they're like, oh, Baked must be a fed because here's Ray Epps on one of his streams. I'm like, what? I expose feds. Like, how dare you? But <laughs> but if I listened to everything online, I'd go insane. Where was this? This was in downtown Phoenix at Stop the Steal. I meet a thousand people a day, you know, as you, as you know. So these are long streams, eight hours, 10 hours. I didn't remember that interaction at all. Did you even notice him at the time? No. No, because like I said, I talked to so many people. Was Ray Epps simply a curious bystander or was there more to it? Without being able to ask Epps directly, that's a question we couldn't answer. Ironically, it was Baked Alaska, not Epps, who ended up going inside the Capitol, live streaming all the way. And Baked Alaska, the one who ended up in jail. What's up, everybody? Your boy Baked Alaska here, about to go into federal prison. Let's go! Epps made it onto the FBI's list of unidentified January 6th suspects, but was removed around six months later without being charged. That was taken by many as a sign he was being protected. But his criminal attorney, John Blishak, told Politico he thought Epps was removed in part because he'd contacted the FBI and was no longer unidentified. However, we found other suspects who'd been identified and were still on the FBI list, their pictures updated with a banner saying arrested. We also found Matthew Perna, still on there more than a year and a half after he'd committed suicide in February 2022, and his case had been closed. The January 6th committee, in a statement, dismissed concerns about the FBI website as unsupported and said Epps told them he was not working for the FBI or any other law enforcement agency on January 6th and never had. Epps has now been charged more than two and a half years later with a Class A misdemeanor for disorderly conduct on restricted grounds, according to public case records. Those records also show Epps did not have to appear in court when he pled guilty. The DOJ waived his obligation and allowed him to appear via Zoom. Not so much for Baked Alaska, also charged with misdemeanors, but arrested on January 15, 2021, less than 10 days after January 6. When we met up with him in Florida, where he now lives, he said he was on his way back to Arizona and had stopped overnight in a hotel when this happened. I was driving home from D.C. in Houston, Texas, and there was someone who came to my door, and it, it was a guy, a towel guy, and he said, excuse me, do you need more towels? I was like, no, and I, I was barely awake, and I shut the door, and I was like, I could have sworn that guy had a vest on, like a bulletproof vest, and he was in a hotel uniform. I went down to my parking garage to get my rental car, 20 U.S. Marshals jump out, get on the ground, guns, rifles, threw me on the ground, handcuffed me, and it was just like they sent the whole squad over to make this big scene, wasted taxpayer money, put me in danger. For what? We, my attorney and I, said, if you want us, right. I'm going to peacefully surrender. And, and, and that happened not just with me, but with everyone. I've heard stories of doors getting kicked down and, you know, these, these late night or morning raids and the family having to go through the trauma. It, it's absolutely insane. And so I, I had PTSD just from that. And uh, the it, it's, Is it so scary? 
Yeah, it's it's scary, and it just seems like it uh, never ended. I, I kept the cops kept coming to my door trying to get me on more charges and more charges. So it's like I'm here with you, technically free in Florida, but I'm on a two-year federal probation. And the FBI just tried to charge me with conspiracy, but they they couldn't. But they admitted conspiracy that conspiracy for what? In the New York Times, they were trying to charge me with conspiracy for going to January 6th and meeting up with friends. And they were saying, oh, that was part of some big plan, but they couldn't find evidence. Are you still under investigation, do you think, by the FBI? I submitted a FOIA request um, asking, and they said they couldn't tell me that it was confidential information. So (laughs) I would guess I'm probably on a never-ending investigation because they... You know, they, they want to find any reason to put me behind bars. Are you on any uh, no-fly list or anything like that? I am on the Quad S list, it's called. So every time I fly, four S's appear in the top left of my ticket. I can't check in online. I got to go about three hours early. They have to manually call Homeland Security, treat me like a terrorist, go through every single thing I own with a bomb squad and all. I'm not joking. And then pat me down in every way possible, and then I get to the gate and it's not done. Then they come back again, pat me down in front of everybody. And so really what this is, it's a humiliation tactic. Intimidation. They they want to humiliate me, intimidate me in the public square and say, this is what we're doing to Baked Alaska. And if you speak up, if you step out of line, they're gonna do it to you. The presence of undercover agents and informants amidst the crowd on January 6th has been coming to light and can no longer be dismissed as conspiracy. What have you learned so far? We're tracking down different ideas and theories. And one of those theories was that there were undercover law enforcement officers in the crowds. We know that to be true. We turn to investigators like Congressman Barry Loudermilk since the FBI and DOJ won't comment. He's chairman of the House Administration's Oversight Subcommittee investigating security failures around January 6th. Is it potentially the biggest setup in the history of this country? Potentially. One of the greatest crimes against the American people. That's why it's so important to get the truth with this. That's what we're working for. And the cover-ups that happened after January 6th is what I'm really after as well. What about the Republicans involved in those cover-ups? I know it's hard for you to address those things. This is your own party, but this is the reality. I mean... We're going to go where evidence leads. No matter what. No matter what. I'm going to hold you to that. Yes. For the January 6th committee, the congressman from Georgia and his team of investigators would prove to be the problem that wouldn't go away. Did the DOJ and the January 6th committee overlook a felony arrest warrant for Ray Epps in Pennsylvania from 2015? We have video of Ray Epps holding up this huge magazine, steel magazine, and he's actually helping push it. Some of the men who were touching that sign, they're in prison today. 